Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, today I'm joined by George Azar, writer, proud homosexual and ex-pastor at Exodus Ministries, which leads me to today's trigger warning. This episode is George's experiences with conversion therapy, so it might not be for everyone. However, spoiler warning, it does have a happy ending. If you'd rather not listen to this episode, you could go and watch But I'm a Cheerleader, which George references in this episode, and it's an excellent silly gay queer fun film. Right, let's get started. This is Probably True, stories of queer life and even queerer sex. Please be aware that this podcast contains strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. The first time I quote-unquote acted out on my homosexuality, it was when I was 20 years old. I was still in the church. I kind of had this like fall away period, if you will, like where I was kind of, I was partying, but I still had my gay thoughts and no one really knew anything about it. So I decided when I was visiting family to go to an adult store in, in my hometown, because I knew that they were like, they, they were really famous for like the, the materials that they had. They had a lot of videos and I, I knew that they had a video store in the back where you can watch videos and stuff. So I remember putting on my hoodie and just kind of putting my head down and walking in for the first time and just being like assaulted by dildos on one side of the wall and all these different, you know, lubricants and all that. Didn't know what any of those things were, to be honest. And so I pretended to like peruse the shop and just kind of see what was there and peek my head back into the video room. And it was like super dark and stuff. Eventually, I ended up going into the video room and they had these booths, like, almost like confessional booths, where they had curtains and such. So I just like popped into one of them and I closed the curtain and the screen was right in front of me. But to the left of it at crotch height was a hole. And I had no idea what that was for. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I ended up perusing the the videos. At first, I was like looking at like the straight selection. And I was like, come on, you're by yourself. No one knows you're here. So I ended up looking at the gay section and, and found a film and put my money in and started watching it. It was very exhilarating. Prior to that, I'd been looking at gay porn in secret just, just by myself and stuff. So, but this was the first time like in public where, you know, I could expose myself and enjoy it. So it was, it was exhilarating on so many levels. Like the film was great. The, like the ambiance was great. The feelings were great. So yeah, I definitely was enjoying it. And and it was scary for me because I was like, well, wait a second. Like, you know, this is just confirmation. But I, I kind of put that in the back of my head, that fear and that, that worry, if you will. And just started to, again, just partake into the film. So no, it was a very pleasurable experience all around. And then all of a sudden, I, I heard some other people outside. So I looked out through the curtain and I saw two shadowy figures. And I immediately popped my head back in. I was like, oh, crap. And moments later, I saw a penis <laughs> come through that hole. 
if I was wearing my pearls, I would clutch them. <laughs> Tight grip. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> however, whatever works for you. But yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. So it so it came through, and I literally was like, it was a deer in headlights. I was like, what do I do with this? Like, it was just like it was just there, and so. I just got down on my knees and started performing oral on this guy. You're a natural. And yeah. I, was, I was like, this is what I do with it. And so literally 30 seconds into it, I was panicked. Like I had been panicking from the get go. Like this was like, what are you doing? This is so stupid. Oh my God. This is, you, this is going too far. You didn't agree to this da, da, da. or we didn't agree to this or whatever. And so 30 seconds into it, I literally freaked out. I stopped, I ran, put my pants on, ran it, ran out of the room and literally bolted out of that, that shop. Like I had stolen something, you know, it was just so, so jarring for me. And so then the next moment I just, I got in my truck and I was like, literally just berating myself. I was like, you're such an idiot. What the fuck? Like you couldn't control yourself. You're, you're Jesus is going to heal you from this. And this just made it harder. You know, all of this, all of this, like just self-loathing, self-deprecation. So I ended up driving to the local pharmacy and I, I didn't know what to do. So I bought a bottle of rubbing alcohol and I just rinsed my mouth out with it like a couple of times. Yeah, it was so fucking crazy. <laughs> Straight to rubbing alcohol because it was like, you know, it, it, it was going to detoxify it. But then there was also this like sadist side of me where I was just like, you don't deserve anything better. This is your punishment. It's kind of like like a you know mom rinsing a kid's mouth out with water. That was my version of it because I just felt so much shame for what I had just done. Having had this moment of weakness in massive quotes, what was your thinking after that? Were you thinking about it when you fantasized or when you were masturbating? Were you like oh, that actually felt really good. Mm. Or did you kind of block it out? Were you in denial? Like, how did you deal? So being in the church, there were justifications, like for every every sinful action we did or whatever. And so for me, it was more of a block out. Like it was very much like that didn't happen. Jesus has forgiven you. So you can move on. You don't have to think about the past. And anytime it would come up, I would just like, I, I would try to change the thought. It was never this pleasurable moment for me. It was, it was seared in my memory as this shameful thing. Like there was nothing pleasurable about it. There was nothing. So it, it kind of put a damper on, on the entire experience because it, again, it was just very much, it, it was explained a way that this was a result of my quote unquote old nature. There's your old nature and your new nature and your old nature is your sinful nature. It was before Christ and your new nature is in Christ and your identity is now wrapped up in him. And it has nothing to do with who you are. Like it has everything to do with repentance and forgiveness and, and love of Christ because he washed away your sins. So I really tried to clothe myself in that second identity. So anytime that thought would come back into my mind, I would be like, oh, it's it's Satan. It's the devil. He's trying to either tempt me or make me feel shame. You know, it was like. I found these these ways to be able to justify why those thoughts were coming back into my mind and blame something else other than just embracing that moment and really going through it. For me, it was more of a traumatic incident than it was a pleasurable incident. And so the way that I justified that was just as I justified my new nature, 
um, I was able to then justify the reasons for why it was coming back. And it was strictly the devil. So you had the devil's dick in your mouth. <laughs> I had the devil's dick in my mouth. And then Jesus washed your <laughs> mouth out with rubbing alcohol. Exactly. Of the two, I know which way I'm leaning in that particular scenario, but never mind. <laughs> now, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that was in October. Then December of that same year, a group of us from college ended up driving up to the Bay Area and do New Year's up there. It was also my 21st birthday. And so kind of what I mentioned earlier, like I was, you know, partying in high school, I still had my faith, but I wasn't plugged into a church and quote unquote, fallen back or whatever, but I still kept to the principles of my faith. And so we went up to San Francisco, had my 21st birthday the day before I was a blacked out mess. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just so interesting. So then the next night we ended up just got belligerently drunk. It was crazy. So I ended up separating from the group, got onto the BART, and ended up going to the Castro district. Purely by accident, of course. I mean, Clearly, who, yeah. Who hasn't stumbled onto public transport, fallen off drunk <laughs> right. in the gayest area in the country? It happens to all of us occasionally. <laughs> all of us, yeah. It's no big deal. It's... <laughs> I can now blame it on public transit. <laughs> and Satan. And Satan. Satan was the driver of that, that BART that night. I mean, public transport <laughs> and Satan are very often found together. So anyway, you're very drunk. You've stumbled off the BART into the Castro, the big gay space in San Francisco. Yeah, so I remember I texted someone that I knew there. And so we ended up going to gay bars and stuff. And that was literally my first experience. But like, there was this internal conflict where I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, this is the enemy. He's trying to lure you in, da, 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 all that. Was your friend gay? Did he and yeah. like, okay. And so did he know that you were wrestling with these things or that you wanted to see these things? Or was he just like, oh, he's in town. I'll take him to some bars that I know that are fun. He knew that I was gay, but I, I was you know denying it vehemently. It was always his mission to like, con quote unquote, convert me, if you will. Like, that's how I saw it, because I was trying to convert him to Christianity. But, you know, there were times where I was tempted with him in the sense that like, I thought he was handsome, but I knew that I had to be a quote unquote, good witness. So I couldn't do anything or anything like that. I know it was so boring. So when I text him, I could tell he was like, this guy clearly wants to see something. So nothing actually happened at the bars. But what happened was after we left, I ended up responding to the group because they're like, where are you? Where did you go? Like, oh my God, we're so concerned about you. I didn't care. I was very focused on getting what I wanted, you know, my pursuing my sin. So I told them like, I'm so sorry. I'm on my way back. I found a club or whatever. Da, da, da. So when I got on the BART, I noticed this, you know, that feeling when someone's looking at you and they have eyes on you. I felt that. And so I looked up to my right and there was this guy sitting there and he was like giving me these really, really like intense eyes. And so I like looked at him and then I looked down real quick and then I like I was still curious. I looked up again and he was getting off at the next stop. And so he like got up and then he like called me to him. I was like, OK. And so I ended up following him. I don't remember if we had any conversation or whatever, but we ended up going back to his hotel. He walked into his room and his the people that he was with were already there, passed out. So I suggested we go to the stairway. <gasps> so we ended up going to the stairway and same thing. He dropped his pants. I partook in 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden I felt all this guilt and shame and 
ended up leaving and he tried to grab me. He's like, where are you going? I was like, I got to go. I just got to go. He tried to like chase after me and I wasn't having any of it. So I ended up just like literally bolting and just got onto the bar. And it was just another one of those, like, what were you doing? What are you thinking? The self beratement. And so, yeah, that became the catalyst for me to go back to my faith. Like I knew that I was in, in a dire situation that pursuing my homosexuality and if it, it wouldn't be too long until the enemy already grabbed me and you know and I was a full homosexual so it was horrible it was really like the first two experiences were trauma induced not in and of themselves but the beliefs I had about myself going into those the romantic in me is curious was there any kissing or anything with this second guy because obviously like you could see all of him it wasn't just a cock in a hole so was there a bit of a smooch and that kind of thing before he dropped his pants or was it just straight to it i think it was just straight to it i don't think there was any foreplay whatsoever like it was just like this is what we're doing (laughs) at least that's what i remember how did you feel in the bars back in san francisco Like, I felt good in the sense of, like, it was exhilarating. Like, it was like, oh, my God, this is everybody's free. They're, you know, having fun. They're dancing. But that was soon squandered by the indoctrination that I had. So it was very much like these people are lost. They are, you know, playing into Satan's playbook. They're deceived. They're all this. So there was this, like, dual nature in me that was just like, you know, (laughs) I guess we could go back to the old nature and the new nature where it was very much like the old nature was thoroughly enjoying this. Like, it was like to be free and to express themselves and all of that. And there were no go-go dancers. So it wasn't like initially, like, erotically aroused. I mean, being in the moment, it was very arousing. Just seeing people there, just being themselves and all of that. In hindsight, it was too much for me in that moment because I had not done the work to deconstruct my faith. So going into that situation, dropped down all of the guards and put me in a place of this is sinful. This is not right. With my evolved version now, it would have been enjoyable. But for who I was back then and the the internal struggle of never really coming out and then also being indoctrinated to believe that homosexuality was one of the most despicable sins, it really put a damper on that enjoyment. I was wondering whether you'd gone somewhere with go-go boys and you were just kind of like, no, I mustn't look, but I want to. But no, I mustn't. But I must, <laughs> but I won't. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you tired of listening to the same playlists over and over again? Are you ready for something new? Discover the latest music from LGBTQIA musicians on Homo Ground. 
There's so much music ready for you to devour, like this song by Carl X. What are you waiting for? Visit homoground.com or search Homoground on your favorite podcast app. Same ground, different sound. You're on Homoground. Back to your story. So you'd accidentally tripped and fallen onto two different erect penises. Yes. <laughs> and both times had decided that this was not the life for you, for you were a good Christian, pious, Jesus-loving individual. Yep. <laughs> so did you feel you had to atone again for the second round of Knob Goblin? Yes. And unfortunately, my sister would be the brunt of that. So my sister was with was with us on that trip. I remember we were driving back and I took it as an opportunity to proselytize to her. And I was just like, you know, Jesus can help heal you. But and I just went into this whole thing for like an hour. And I think that was my way of like atoning for for what I had done. It was kind of like, you know, like, well, we'll we'll make up for this by, you know, proselytizing. And she didn't deserve that that day. So I was trying to make up for lost ground. So I did have the self beratement and all of that. But it really was a turning point for me in that I knew that I needed to get right with God. I was like, these two acts happening so close together are they're me acting out. And I justified it by I wasn't in fellowship because I wasn't in a church. I wasn't reading my Bible. So I wasn't doing my devotionals and all that and staying close to God and all of that. Shame. It was all shame. Like there was no love whatsoever in any of it. It was all about preserving my Christianity. Those two moments were turning points, and it really actually brought me to the church that I ended up becoming a pastor at, Exodus Ministries. So Exodus was a ex-gay ministry. It pretty much was a conversion therapy organization. I ended up going to their national conference, found other people that were like me, and, and so that kind of like sealed the deal for me where it was like, okay, there are other people like me. I'm not the only one struggling with this, and others have been healed from this famously the CEO was married and had kids and was knee deep into the gay lifestyle on his knees deep yeah (laughs) how did you not just end up making out with all of them I think I would have just been like yes we're all very tortured (laughs) it was the big conference they give their introduction all of that then we were brought into our own like group. So based off of our struggle. So I was I was relegated to the young guys group. It was so funny because everyone at the table, you could tell it was it was very much like, have you watched uh, But I'm a Cheerleader? I recently watched it and I was like, oh my God, this was Exodus Ministries. Everybody was like in a group and stuff. And like, you could tell guys were locking eyes on each other. And I fell for the the leader of our group. Of course you did. Yeah. Oh, of course. Like, go straight to the top. Like, you know. In every sense. (laughs) Um, He was so sexy. He was just so sweet. He was compassionate. He had lived experience, which I basically didn't. From him, like, I learned a lot. It was a lot of garbage, but it was just garbage that he was reverberating based off of his own experience. I formed an emotional bond with this guy, too, because he had taught me something and all of that. Anyway, as the days went on, you could tell the guys who hooked up with each other. I remember actually one guy feeling like really crappy and he was like, yeah, I stumbled and da, da, da. And I was like, oh, of course you did. I know exactly who I was with and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it was very much like, but I'm a cheerleader. It was cruisy, but it was in the context of this isn't who I am. <laughs> it was so weird. 
Did you end up making out with your hot leader top guy? Unfortunately, no. He was pretty set in his ways. He had experienced the lifestyle. He had a boyfriend. And so he ended up leaving the sinful lifestyle to pursue godliness and all that. So he was pretty locked in. We stayed in touch after the conference. I noticed like months after it, he ended up going back into the homosexual lifestyle. And so I ended up unfriending him because I didn't want it to be a temptation for me. I actually reactivated my my MySpace just to see if I could find the pictures and with him tagged in it. That was like in the last six months. I want to see if he's still out there. I want to know what he's up to. I couldn't find him. Hopefully he's listening to this podcast and he'll know where to find me. Fingers crossed. Did you come away from Exodus feeling better about yourself in any way or did it just not stick it actually gave fuel to my fire to heal from my homosexuality because that's where i learned the term same-sex attraction so for me it was very much oh this is different than who i am i am not gay i am a straight man who struggles with same-sex attraction the other thing was I learned about conversion therapy. And so for me, like, you know, I had this amazing experience at the conference. I was learning so much. I learned that my homosexuality could be healed and, and, and all that. So it really gave me power to then press on even further in coming out to the people at my church to get prayer, to have accountability, to be able to have some sort of protection against these desires that I had. I remember leaving the conference and having like a post-conference depression because like I was on this high, I was around people that were just like me who were trying to get healed, all of that. And so I just dove right into conversion therapy, uh, did that for a while. And then once I felt like I had the tools and, and enough, I ended up stopping that and, and would just practice the practices of conversion therapy by like wearing a rubber band around my wrist and flicking it every time I had a gay thought, which is like a dumbed down version of shock therapy. The Exodus experience put my desires on steroids. It was just like, I'm going to heal myself from this. This is not who I am. It became very toxic. And so it put the, the shame desires on rather than the accepting and loving yourself for being a homosexual. It was all of the, the bad stuff. Exactly. Because it gave me tools. That's the thing. I mean, they were broken tools. They were tools that didn't work, but they were tools nonetheless, because it aligned with my worldview of the time. So it was very much like, oh, this is the explanation of it. And it's why I'm very much of a vehement supporter of banning conversion therapy, because I've experienced this harmful effects. It is a fucked up way of treating people. And it's it's abuse. It really is abuse, especially for children. It's child abuse. A lot of the shit that I've had to unpack and in coming into my sexuality was dealing with all of these ideas that were instilled in me from conversion therapy. How did you break free? How did you become the glorious, gorgeous gay person we see in front of us? How did that happen? It, it was years. Because like, as I started to climb up the church leadership ranks, I had become an usher. And then I was overseeing some ministries. And then all of a sudden, over the course of years, then I became the outreach pastor. And so the more that I climbed up, the more control there was. Being gay was not the issue that actually broke the camel's back. To them, it was perceived I had it under control. They ended up fixing me up with this woman for eight months, and it was a total disaster. And I wrote about that, but it was just horrible. 
as I started to get higher and higher up the leadership, the senior pastor became more controlling. And so he would just all these different roles, like the music I could listen to, who I could hang out with, where I could hang out, what I can consume, like all these things. They were just so fucking controlling. And the final thing that broke the camel's back was related around my education. Anyway, long story short, I was attending their Bible school. It wasn't accredited, was looking for accredited degree, ended up telling the pastor this because education has always been important to me. He was very reluctant about it, but I told him it was kind of my ultimatum. Like it was like either that or I leave. And so he allowed me to go down this path. And so, you know, months of searching finally came across Liberty University. They had an online course. It was accredited and aligned with our doctrinal beliefs. He ended up saying yes to it at the initial, but then and then followed up with an email. And that's when I lost my shit. Saw his email, said 15 minutes, your office, went to his office, told him everything, told him how I'd been looking at gay porn for the last four years, how he claimed to care for me, but he never did. And all those examples ended up leaving the church, moved back home, got plugged into my old church, started doing Bible courses and all of that. And it was a slow, steady trickle. Like there was a paper I did that I got a failing grade on because it didn't align with their doctrinal beliefs, which then revealed to me the, the bullshit about doctrine and the Bible and all of that. And then I started to do a deep dive into homosexuality in the Bible. And literally, I could have a PhD on this subject. I tore this thing apart. I was still under the context of a conservative approach, but I knew that the way that the church handled homosexuality did not equate to the biblical context. And so I did this deep dive and found out that homosexuality was never in the Bible. It was translated from the the original word, you know, sodomy. And then so I, I make this argument that, well, if sodomy is bad, then that means that heterosexuality should be banned as well, like homosexuality is, because also heterosexuals practice sodomy. And so it, it was like the slow, steady trickle. And it wasn't until I actually moved to L.A. that, you know, I came out, I ended up started dating, I left the faith, I had years of night terrors and all of that. But through this process of just healing and going through therapy and defining my new belief system and all of that, I was able to rise from the ashes, if you will, which then ended up becoming the inspiration for writing my story. It was a very long, drawn out process, but I look back on it with so much admiration and so much inspiration that like, I wouldn't have changed a thing because it's made me the person that I am today and who I will continue to be. It took years for me to reconstruct my face. So I deconstructed when the term deconstruction wasn't a thing. And it, it was a lot of pain and rebuilding a new belief system and therapy and energy work really helped me with that. I would say my current belief now, if, if we were to put it into a box, it would be agnosticism. And I always tell people my religion is astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy, because the more that I study the depths of space, the more that I become comforted with the unknown, where before there was so much fear of the unknown, which kept me really dependent upon that belief system of control. Now it's like the unknown is... I look forward to it and I love studying about it and like the new discoveries. And I love hearing other people's perspectives and what their beliefs are, as long as they're not absolute. <laughs> That's kind of my belief system. <laughs> You've mentioned your book a couple of times, so I suppose we should get on and plug it. Tell us about your book, babes. Yeah, so it's called My Gay Church Days. It's the story of my time as a closeted evangelical pastor. And it really was birthed out of a desire to help other people heal from traumatic incidences. 
And so it just outlines my story. And I do have some anecdotal chapters in there as well. It's been a an amazing journey. It was birthed out of my own struggles with the pandemic and getting re-addicted to opioids. And, you know, that was an addiction I had in college. And so it, you know, finding a, a healthy release from that was was really just getting my story out on paper and helping others just understand that they're they're not crazy. They're not alone. There is someone here who has experienced the same crazy shit that they have. <laughs> so if there was anyone out there trying to reconcile their naughty, evil, sinful sexuality with the good and true and obviously evidently true teachings of organized religion, do you have any advice or what would you suggest to them? I mean, no pressure, you know. No, I know, right? <laughs> I, I would say if you have to be in a group that accepts you based on certain conditions, it's probably not the right group for you. That's ultimately what it came down was that me staying in the church meant that I had to compromise my integrity and who I was as a person. Sin aside, I was not able to be freely myself. And so what that created was a psychological dysmorphia in that I hated myself. I despised myself. And that was reinforced by the ideas of salvation of them saying, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, desperately wicked, not worthy of anything good. That is a form of a power dynamic. They are trying to conform you into the image of their community and using an ancient book that supposedly is absolute to keep you subservient. That is the whole point of religion. That has a, That is how religion originated. So if you are struggling with this group, if you are struggling with the ideals about yourself that you have been told are unnatural, but they feel like the most natural thing to you, leave. Find a group that accepts you for who you are, not who they want you to become. I'm very accessible, like on Instagram. Reach out to me, DM me. I love talking to people like this. I Believe it or not, there's quite a few people that have been in those situations that have reached out to me, and I absolutely love it. You can find me on my, at My Gay Church Days. DM me. I would love to talk to you if you're listening and you've been questioning and wondering. That was Probably True, the multi-award-winning storytelling podcast created to remind all of our queer siblings that we are none of us alone. If you like what you heard and you want me to keep doing it, you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash probably true. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.